0: Good evening. In the book of Numbers, you'll find a section that starts at chapter 22 and goes over through chapter 24. It's a very interesting story told there. And within that story, several valuable lessons that we can explore and apply today. I'm not going to be able to cover everything in Numbers 22 to 24, but there's a part of that I intend to cover and draw some lessons from for our benefit today I want to tell that story not in detail but in essence and then I'd like to concentrate on one part of the story which is a valuable statement about God it will do us good to remember this is part of our continuing effort this year to emphasize the value of daily Bible reading This text is taken from about where we are in the schedule that many of us use. And again, I'm not going to read all these chapters, 22 to 24, but I want to tell the story that is revealed here, and then I want to talk about what we need to learn from it. Here's the story of Balak and Balaam. And this was at the time when the nation of Israel came to the plains of Moab before their movement over into the land of Canaan under Joshua. They came to the plains of Moab camping near the Jordan River. And I need to tell you at this point in the story that God had instructed the Israelites about these people. God had instructed the Israelites to not harm the Moabites. And you can read that in Deuteronomy 2 and verse 9. It will be a very clear short phrase. Do not harass Moab or contend with them. So here the Israelites are coming near the promised land and they know the Moabites are there. But they've been told by God to leave them alone. Now, the Moabites look at it from their perspective. They see a threat with all these people coming. They are afraid of so many people so near their land. The Moabite king at the time was a man named Balak, and he sent a delegation to visit a man who was believed to have had special powers, and his name was Balaam. Balak wanted to hire... Balaam to put a curse on the nation of Israel. Balaam, the man who was believed to have had these powers, received the delegation from Balak, kept them overnight, consulted with the Lord, and then he said to the Moabites he couldn't go. Another delegation was sent to Balaam, the man who was believed to have the powers, And this time Balaam said, it doesn't matter how much money you offer. I cannot disobey the Lord my God in anything great or small. Of course, we admire those words. The next night, God said to Balaam, these men have come to ask you to go with them. Go, but only do what I tell you. Balaam went the next day, and it's here that we draw a conclusion based on the narrative and everything that's in the text, that God evaluated what came up in the heart of Balaam. God saw motives beginning to develop directed to power and to greed. So God did something we would consider to be strange, but it was within the ways of God. God used Balaam's donkey and an angel to tell Balaam and get him to see his wrong, to stop him. Balaam was told to go on to Balak of Moab, but to do and say only what the Lord said. Second time Balaam has been told this. Balaam arrived and he delivered four messages to Balak of Moab. And I want to read part of Balaam's second message. And this is found in Numbers 23, verses 19 and 20. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot change it. We know how very important it is for us to know what the Bible says about God, not just his existence. But God in his very nature and action and reaction, God in his perfection, we need to know what the Bible says. And this is one of those passages that can very well instruct us in truths about the perfection and sovereignty of God. So we're going to take a few minutes tonight and look at the various elements of this in our effort to review and to refresh our conviction about who God is and it starts out so very simple God is not a man now it may be that we come to a statement like this in Scripture and we consider it immediately to be self-evident of course God is not a man we know that and we are tempted sometimes when we come to very simple truths about God to simply say, yes, I know that, and move on, when really it would serve us well to pause and give it some thought. I'm going to help you with that tonight. It is useful for us to explore the simplicity of this, to give this more than just passing thought, and to stop and consider the difference between God and man and i think this is crucial in our culture where secular humanism denies or blurs the distinction between god and man eventually to deny god the power ascribed to him we need to know and we need to preach to others this very simple truth about god think and study this in terms Of specifics. How is it that God is not a man? Well, you can start here. First page of the Bible. God is the creator. Where do we go in that? We are the created. On the very first page of the Bible, there is this very simple affirmation that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says he made man in his own image. He is the maker. We are the made. He is the creator. We are the created. And this is echoed all through scripture. In the book of Acts, we have Paul's sermon in Athens where he said, We are God's offspring. And he said, we ought to think of him and reach out to him as he really is. I'm paraphrasing Acts 17, 24 to 31. It's very good for us to know our place in relation to God. We are the made. He is the maker. We are the creatures. God is the creator. And would you consider that in his eternal existence, what ought to be evident to us, the created, is his perfect knowledge, his sovereignty, his power that we do not have. God is not a man. That simple fact must be a part of our fundamental knowledge of God and part of our knowledge of man, who we are. We sometimes capture this by saying of God, He is the Almighty God. Good for us to speak in those terms so long as we think in those terms. We cannot deal with God as we would men. We cannot deceive Him. We cannot manipulate Him. We cannot hide anything from Him. God is not A man, I should never think of God or deal with God or respond to God as if I were dealing with a human being. That trivializes God. It reduces the stature of the Creator. And it's damaging for me in my self-concept. And when we think of God as human, it becomes an opportunity for us to elevate ourselves... And think more highly of ourselves than we should. He is imperfect and we are not. See, any thought or teaching or trend that confuses the distinction between the creator and the created can do us no good is not enlightening and is just wrong and destructive. So in your daily Bible reading, even in this historical section in Numbers, truth emerges about who God is and who we are. Mark that when you go through in your readings. God is not a man that he should lie. Once we understand who God is, that he is not a man... We are in position to better appreciate his perfection through a number of dimensions revealed to us in Scripture. And one element of his perfection is when God speaks, it's always the truth. All the time. Every word, every phrase, completely trustworthy. God is not a man that he should lie. I may in my life, catch myself in dishonesty. And I may find out that there are humans who have lied to me and deceived me. But I will never make such a discovery about God, nor will you, because God has never lied. Titus 1 in verse 2 says, God cannot lie. Balak was capable of deceit, Balaam, apparently from the text in Numbers, was capable of greed and dishonesty. But of God, it was said, he cannot lie. One of the places in the New Testament where this is well argued is in Hebrews chapter 6. I'm going to read a part of that. Hebrews chapter 6. The main point of the paragraph is to exalt the stature... ...of deity in comparison to man. Paul begins in Romans 6 talking about how we could fall. We could make a mistake. We could go back into sin. But then eventually he says this. I'm starting at verse 9 in Hebrews 6. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Let me ask you, what is hope connected to in the text we've read? Hope is connected to promises made by God. Now, how does that fortify our hope? Notice in the middle of this, the statement, it is impossible for God to lie. And the result of that truth about God is captured in this phrase. We have strong consolation. And this is referred to in the text here by a rather complex phrase, but it's all about God's integrity. The phrase is the immutability of his counsel. God cannot lie. Now one product of that truth is you can trust what God has revealed. You can read the Bible every day as you keep up your schedule of Bible reading and you're getting the truth. You may not get it on the internet. You may not get it on television. You may not get it from gossip. You can get it here. The immutability of his counsel. Once you learn What God wants you to do and how he wants you to live your life, how he wants you to think and speak, you can rest in the comfort that you have the truth. And there's consolation in that. You can trust God. Men may disappoint you. Good men may let you down. Preachers and teachers may be mistaken or may be deceived. Brethren are imperfect. But you can open this book every day and read God's will and know his integrity is without question. God is not a man that he should lie. God has never been under any pressure to lie or any necessity to do so. Sinful men, however, well, listen to what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 9, 5, and 6. They will deceive every one his neighbor and will not speak the truth. That's the moral bankruptcy. In the culture Jeremiah lived in. And we may see it today. But never in God. Never in God. The almighty creator. God is not a man that he should lie. Nor a son of man that he should change his mind. God doesn't change his mind The way men change their minds, for he is not a son of man. See, this is a function of where the statement started that God is not a man. Now, we have to be careful here and let scripture inform us thoroughly about this. It can be said that God changes his mind, but not in the way humans typically change their minds. In the book of Jonah, God decreed or proclaimed that Nineveh would perish. But the Bible says when God saw what they did, how they responded to his word, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind. Now the King James says God repented. That's not repentance as sinners repent. No, that's a change of mind God had a right to when He saw people turning from their sin. God changes His mind in the sense that is appropriate to his sovereignty and his perfection and his promises, but he doesn't change his mind in the typical human sense because he's not a son of man. He's not fickle. He doesn't act on whim and change his mind in that human sense. We know what it's like when men change their minds because we are familiar with people who make promises and then change or make commitments and then not fulfill them. God is not like that. He's not like men in this regard. God issues commands that hold integrity because God issued them. His promises will be kept according to His will because they came from His perfect mind. Upon the basis of any conditions, He is attached to those promises. See, in the case of Nineveh, there were conditions attached. And when the conditions were met, God changed from wrath to forgiveness. The vital difference between humanity and deity, the ordinary and the extraordinary is highlighted in Numbers 23, 19 to 20. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind in the way that humans typically change their minds. So, in the light of all this truth about deity, Balaam is compelled to say... Balaam is compelled to say... Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless and I cannot change it. Now, let's go back to our comparisons of the two narratives I just brought up. At Nineveh, at Nineveh when Jonah preached, Men didn't just change God's mind because they wanted their will to prevail. The process was they repented, they met the condition, and then God changed his mind about destroying them. In the case of Balaam, he is saying to the Moabites, I cannot simply by my will change what God has decreed. God has said it, I cannot change it. See, the case of Nineveh and the case of Balaam are not identical at all. In Nineveh you have people repenting and then God deciding that he would not destroy them. Something everybody knows God had a right to do. What Balaam is saying is men cannot impose their will on God because God is sovereign. We cannot change what he's decided simply because we want to. In the case of Balaam, while he was capable of coveting ill-gotten gain, and apparently did, he couldn't bless or curse on his own. God had long before this time decided that he would bless the Israelites even as they went by the borders of Moab. He would see his people to their destination. His promise to the offspring of Abraham would find fulfillment, as the Hebrew writer declared. And God would bless Israel in this matter. And Balaam is saying, I can't change that. I can't change that. The story of Balaam is a story with many dimensions of interest and maybe some complication, but within it there's application. One thing to be noted is he was a man who, not always governed by good motive, nevertheless, had an insight into the things about God. One man said about Balaam, very blind to his own state, yet knowing valuable truths about the nature of God. God's will is not subject to human whim. God's fixed will, God's revealed instructions cannot be changed by men. Balaam said it very well, I cannot change it. Think about this as it applies to human religious laws and systems and creeds. The Pharisees in the time of Jesus started with God's revealed will. Then they attempted in their minds and in their practice They attempted to change it, manipulate it, add, subtract. Jesus came along and said, you didn't really change God's will. Throughout religious history from the time of Christ until now, men presume and imagine that they have such authority to take what God has said and apply their wisdom to it. How arrogant. To change it and manipulate it, and revise it according to the culture. Men and women need to be convinced of this. We cannot change what God has decreed and decided and said and commanded and revealed. There is a propensity sometimes to blame preachers and teachers for what God has said, getting mad at the preacher, the teacher, the reader. When he presents exactly what God has said, that's immature. It fails to take into account the preacher isn't the originator. The teacher isn't the originator. When a man reads from Scripture, he's not originating, he's conveying what God has already decreed. And it's all expressed in this statement, I cannot change it. God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed. And Balaam says, I cannot change it. Well, very simple words coming from this man in this rather complex scene in Moabite and Israelite history the Bible says Balaam had some flaws in his character but he knew he knew something about God God is not a man does not lie does not change as humans do nor can men change his will so let's remember that refresh our convictions of who we serve not just in our study and knowledge and teaching but in mind and in thought in prayer and in life respect God for who the Bible says he is he has not left himself without witness about his character the gift of inspiration was imparted to the writers of this book which is full of instruction and warning and character building principles for our good use to get out of sin through Christ to get into fellowship with God and go to heaven. God is God. He is not a man. And because of Christ, we can be forgiven of sin, entering into fellowship with God through the activity of our faith, to serve God wholeheartedly, daily and reverently, and to serve Him according to who He is. Let's do that. You can begin tonight if you need to, while we stand